Well, uh, we started a new series last week called Big Church, not because our church is big numer- numerically, but the church is big, a couple billion people in the world, and the church itself, the concept of the church is a big, big deal. Jesus died for the church. Our topic today is big prayers. We're looking at the book of Acts after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, stories about Jesus. We have Acts. It tells us about the early church. So, let me ask you, how many names of people that were crucified do you know? My guess is you may know two. Right? Uh, one you may know is the name Spartacus. How many know the name Spartacus? Let's see. Put your hands up. Most of you know that. Mostly because of Hollywood, right? But the reason Hollywood knows about that and we know about that is because the Roman historians wrote about Spartacus. Actually, he, this happened about 70 B.C., and he was a slave, he was a, he was a gladiator, but also a slave, and, and there was millions of slaves. They probably outnumbered the Romans that, in the Roman Empire. So they started a rebellion, and it was pretty successful, but eventually it was put down. And when it was finally defeated, Spartacus and the other people with him were all crucified along a road. They left their, left their bodies hang there to rot. And so the Romans wanted their... They're subjects to, to understand this is what's happened to anybody that revolts against us, so the historians wrote about it. So who's the other person you know that was crucified? Jesus, right? Okay. Now, do the Romans historians write about Jesus? What do you think? They didn't even know about him. <laughs> it was way far away from Rome. So the question is, and I put it on your outline, how in the world? Do we know about this guy named Jesus? He was in an insignificant part of the world. The Romans could care less about him. And yet we have four accounts of his life. And 2,000 years later, we are talking about him. And like I said, the church is two billion strong. Now, historians, non-Christian historians, just regular historians, want to have a reason or a cause why this has happened. And if you read them, they really don't have an answer. Because it really, naturally, there is no answer, is there? Is there a natural cause why the church is as big as it is? No. But it's natural to look for natural causes. I'll give you an example. If you went to the doctor and you had strep throat, and the doctor said to you, God has given you strep throat. Go home and pray. Would you go back to that doctor? No, that may be true, but you want a natural cause. Well, there's a, I don't know, what's causing what's cause strep? It's not a virus. Is it a vi- bacteria? Some kind of bacteria. Okay, we got a scientist out here. So, this is this bacteria, and can you give me something for it? <laughs> give me a prescription of something to, to treat this bacteria, right? That's what you want. You want natural cause and natural solution. What's the natural cause of the church? Well, there is no natural cause because the church is, we would say, supernatural, isn't it? So, we said last week that the church was a movement. It wasn't a building. It's not an organization. The church was a movement like the women's suffrage movement of 100 years ago or whenever it was in our country. It was a movement launched around an event and had a starting point. And that event was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And we looked at last week that there was about 120 of these believers when Jesus went back to heaven. But before he left, he gave them a mission, right? Now, this mission was, let me just ask you it this way, was it inwardly focused? All right, you guys are just supposed to hang out together and just enjoy each other's company and just tell each other about me? Or was it outwardly focused? It was outwardly focused, right? He said, okay, you just, your job is to tell everybody in the whole world who I am. That I'm a Messiah, I suffered and died and was resurrected, that people can have a relationship with God through me. Now the problem is, ever since the church got started, and we're going to see in a couple weeks, the natural pull is to become insider-focused. And it's natural because you're the ones that are here, right? You're the ones that give money, so this can be here. You're the ones that call me up and complain about things you don't like. People out there don't call me up, all right? So it's natural to become inward-focused. And so that's why we say every week <laughs> our vision is to be a church that the unchurched outsiders want to come into. Now, when the church becomes insider-focused, what it get, begins to do is begin to, to, to make rules. And these rules become exclusive to people that don't follow the rules. I'll give you kind of an interesting example. About five years ago, my wife and I went on a river cruise in southern France. Last day, we were in Paris, and we flew out on Monday. Well, so we go to Notre Dame Cathedral to worship on Sunday morning, it's a Catholic church. Now, if you have Catholic background, you know that they serve communion at the end of the service. But is communion for all Christians in the Catholic church? Who knows? No. You have to be what? Catholic for them to serve you communion. Now, where did communion come from? Did it come from Catholicism? It came from Jesus, right? <laughs> so, Jesus offers to anybody that wants to follow him. So anyway, I understand this. At the end of the service, I'm sitting there, and my wife gets up. Most of you know my wife, right? Is she going to follow the rules? No, she's not going to follow the rules. <laughs> so she goes up and gets served communion. Of course, they didn't know, but I mean, that's their rule. They become exclusive, and, and, and it, it, it's so easy to do. And we're going to, again, a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the Jews. They had 600 and plus rules, and you're excluded if you don't want to keep the rules. So, is that attractive? Is being exclusive attractive? No, it's not attractive to anybody, is it? Now, was the early church exclusive? No. In fact, the early church was attractive. The early church, they were the ones that took care of the sick people, and they're the ones that took care of the orphans and etc. People that maybe not didn't want to believe in this resurrection thing, but they were attracted to the early church. Now, well, question on your outline. How do you and I know, anybody know, whether our church is still on mission? Is it still outsider-focused? And I'll give you one way you can tell. How a church prays. And that means, how do you and I pray? Because the church is people, ecclesia. We used that last week. So today we want to look at the first recorded prayer of the early church. Now, they prayed before this, but we don't know what they prayed or how they prayed. But uh, Luke, 
who researched these things and somehow tracked down, maybe asked Peter, what was that, or John or some of the disciples, what did you guys pray for on that occasion that we'll, we'll look at in a few minutes? Before we do that, though, I want to ask you a question. I want you to think about your prayers, especially the prayers before Thursday. Because probably all our prayers changed a little bit on Thursday, didn't they? Let's be honest. So, what is your regular prayer like? Who is at the center of your prayers? I mean, you pray to God, but who's at the center of the material you pray about? I can tell you, because it's probably the same as mine. It's my wife and my kids and my situation, which includes, of course, this church. Um, I pray for the persecuted church. I have a prayer guide I use for that. But mostly, well, let me ask you this way. Who, if all your prayers got answered, who'd be better off? You would be, Right? Or your kids would be, or your spouse would be. Let me ask you a question. You know, you, you pray for your kids when they take a test in school. They may pray for, take a test in school. Do atheists do, do well in school? Yeah, atheists do well in school. So what happens is our prayers, if we're honest, become pretty self-centered. And if your prayers become self-centered, your life becomes self-centered, which means the church becomes what? Self-centered, insider-focused. And so churches will argue about colors of carpet. Ridiculous, right? Churches will split into multiple churches because of some insider issue. So, not the early church. We'll look in a couple of weeks where a potential for that to happen uh, happens later on. So, Peter and John, two of the disciples, um, we're going to look at Acts chapter 3 and 4. I'm going to give you kind of a summary at chapter 3. They go to the temple in the afternoon. Now, it's kind of odd because they're still Jewish, but now they're Christian, right? So they go to the temple, and uh, <clears throat> they, people would go to the temple at 9 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, then in the evening. So it's after 3 o'clock in the afternoon, they go to the temple. Well, they get to the temple gate, and there's this guy sitting there begging. Got his hand out. He, he, he can't walk, so he can't work, so he's a beggar. He probably doesn't look at people. He just kind of holds his hand out or has somewhere to put the money. And he's been, we'll find out he's been doing this for a long time. So everybody knew him. I mean, he's sitting there every day, and everybody knew him. Peter and John come up to him and say, uh, look at me, which I think is interesting. You read the text. Look, look me in the eye. I said, um, I have no money to give you. Now, if you're that guy, you're thinking, oh. No money. But I got something better for you. <laughs> he said, stand up and walk. Boy, his, his attitude would have changed, wouldn't it? Stand up and walk. And the guy gets up. And he jumps up. And, he, and fascinating thing is he runs into the temple. Because before he couldn't go, he was handicapped. Handicapped people couldn't go in the temple. So he gets to go into the temple. And he's there with Peter and John. And, of course, everybody in there says, we know you. That's Sam. He's the one that sits at the... Wait, wait a minute. He's walking. And so there's this energy and there's this commotion and, 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 and Peter takes advantage of it. He starts preaching a sermon, which he didn't have authority to do. He wasn't a Jewish priest, right? 
He had no authority to preach, but he starts preaching in the temple, and he preaches that same sermon he did at Pentecost. You all are sinners. You killed the Messiah, and you need to repent. <laughs> Ask for forgiveness. And a bunch of people believed. Well, do you think the, the priest appreciated that, the religious leaders? Nah, not so much. <laughs> in fact, we'll pick up the text in chapter 4. It says this. They arrested them. They had authority over the temple, so they could arrest people in the temple. <laughs> and since it was already evening, they had to spend the night in jail. All right? Now, wait a minute. You're Peter and John. <laughs> you just healed a person. Uh, you preached a sermon about the resurrection, which they certainly didn't like, of Jesus. And so you wind up in prison for the night. But many of the people who heard the message believed it. So the number, not just of people, 3,000 at Pentecost, now we're up to 5,000 men. So six, seven, 8,000 people. Um, historians tell us this is probably now 10% of Jerusalem's population. Church is how old? A couple weeks? <laughs> they went from 120 people in a couple weeks to 10% of the population. So, 10% of the population, basically Jews, are now Jesus followers. Now, if you're the church and your leaders, Peter and John, got arrested, what are you going to think? What did you do to the last leader who got arrested? That didn't turn out so well. Well, not initially, anyway. They killed Jesus. They, they killed Jesus. They certainly will kill Peter and John. So I can imagine a church that, that night being uh, frantic and obviously praying. So, next morning comes. They brought the two disciples in before the council, it says. <clears throat> next verse. And they said, by what power? We talked about power last week, right? They recognized a power. Or whose name? Because names had power. Have you done this? Now, just before this, or no, just after this, Peter says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do I understand this correctly? We're here because we healed this guy? We did this good deed? And then he says this. Let me, they asked my question, so they answered, let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus. Now, Jesus was a common name, so they had to say Jesus the Christ or the Messiah, this Jesus of Nazareth. By the way, now, he told the crowd twice, now he's going to tell the religious council, you killed. But God raised him unto the dead. There's that resurrection word again. And then we get to something that Peter says that really bothers a lot of people. It may bother even some of you. He says this, there is salvation. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Isn't that fantastic? Is there salvation. Aren't you glad? I'm certainly glad. But he goes on, in no one else. Ooh, that's pretty narrow, isn't it? Pretty exclusive in one sense. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is it better to have one way or no way? That's the way I always look at this. God gets to pick the rules. He gave us a way. Let's rejoice in that. 
not complain that it seems exclusive. God has given no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. It's the only way to get to heaven. You might not like it, but you got a way. Now, how did they respond to that? Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> Thank you, Peter and John. The members of the council were so amazed first, they were just dumbfounded, when they saw the boldness or confidence of Peter and John. Why? Why, why were they amazed? Because they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in Scripture. <laughs> um, the sermons he preached, he used Scripture. Uh, theologians most believe that Peter couldn't read or write. So he's quoting this from memory. And they also recognized something else, that these men had been with Jesus. When you hang out with Jesus, something happens. You're different, right? The text goes on. It's kind of a normal uh, discussion. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right among them, what could they say? This wasn't, didn't happen? This isn't real? No, they, could, they couldn't say it. So, they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber to kind of figure out their next step, what they're going to do next, right? So the text goes on. <clears throat> what should we do with these men? We can't deny that they performed a miraculous sign. Everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. So that, don't want, that won't work. We can't deny it. But we've got to stop the spread of this this translation uses the word propaganda, and that's what they would thought it was. We've got to stop it. So, let's warn them never to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. All right? We've got the power to tell these people what they can do or not do. And we're going to tell them that. So, text goes on. They call in the apostles, Peter and John, back in. And they command them. All right? You don't have any choice. You've got to do what I said. We command you to never speak or teach in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John said, okay. You and I made it, but they didn't. Peter and John replied, um, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? Now, this is an insult, right? Because they, they, they believe they represented God to the Jewish people. And, and Peter's saying, well, we got a connection with God that you don't have. And you're off track and... We aren't. So, should we obey God or obey you? And then he said this, we cannot stop telling about everything we've seen and heard. Just like the guy was healed. He couldn't, look, 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 I'm, I'm healed. Well, you and I, if you're a Jesus follower, and if you're not, we're delighted you're participating in our service today. But uh, if you're a Jesus follower, we've all experienced this transformation, right? From death to life. We shouldn't be able to stop talking about it. So, text goes on. <laughs> they threaten them some more. Uh -uh -uh. You need to listen to us. Bad things are going to happen if you don't listen to us. But they finally let him go because he didn't have any <laughs> punish them without stirring up a riot because everybody had seen it, right? Everyone was praising God for the miraculous sign. The healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. So, they're free. So what are they going to do? Text goes, 
goes on and says, as soon as they were free, they head back to, to the ecclesia. Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. So now they're all going to say, okay, we've got to shut up now, right? We've been commanded to shut up. Text goes on. And when they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer. So this is their response. How would you respond? Well, this is dangerous now. I know we're supposed to tell people about Jesus, but maybe we should tone it down a little bit. Especially you, Peter and John, you, you, you are leaders. Maybe we ought to separate the two of you so that if one of you gets arrested, we still have the other one. Modern days, we'd hire some people in black suits and sunglasses and little cords hanging out of their ears, right? A security force to protect you guys. Because we're all about security, especially about what's happened this week, right? So, we're going to read their prayer. Here it is. Oh, sovereign Lord. Now, how do you and I start our prayers usually? Heavenly Father, we... We kind of, with this intimacy thing, right? Which we, which we have, which is fine. But they say, okay, we're talking about authority here. So who's the authority? You're the authority. You're sovereign. You're all powerful. You are the creator of the heavens and the earth and the sea. And everything. You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David. Your servant saying, why are the nations so angry? Why are they wasting time with feudal plans? Notice that word, feudal plans. The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against the Messiah. They killed him a couple months ago, right here in Jerusalem, right? In fact, that's what they say next. This happened right here in the very city. Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, and the Gentiles, the Romans, and the people of Israel all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. So, to the early believers, of Jesus followers, when Jesus died, did it look like things were out of control? The God, things were out of God's control? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Things are never out of God's control. And we see things that happen this week in our community. We think, is God not in control? He's still in control. But there's evil in the world. Everything was determined before him according to your will. So that's how they started their prayer. Now they get to the give me part. You and I do, right? Give me this, give me that. All right? So here's what the give me was. And now, Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, protection, right? That's what we would pray. No, not for protection. Great or greater boldness. Because wait a minute, wait a minute. Isn't boldness what got us in this problem in the first place? Preaching on the street, then preaching in the temple, and then, and then, then uh, contradicting the religious council? That's what caused all this problem. We're already bold, it seems, to you and I reading this later. But that's what they prayed for. Great Boldness and preaching your word. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you prayed for boldness? Now, if I'm honest with you, I can't remember before the last couple of weeks when I started studying this text. I'm ashamed to 
shame to admit it, but it's true. Now, when I say boldness, I don't mean weirdness. You met some of these people that are so, they may be bold, they're just so weird. They're usually very judgmental and condemning. That's part of the reason. The early church wasn't that, was it? So that was the first, they, they actually asked for two things. They, 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 did, they did ask for two things. First thing was boldness. Second thing was this. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, what has happened with this verse is, and how this verse has been interpreted, is kind of insider-focused, um, depending on your church background. You know, we have a church service, and people come in here, and they get healed. Is that what they're talking about? That's not what they're talking about. Where did this happen? They're healing this guy. Out on the street, right? In front of the temple. So what they're praying for is this. God, give us the power to perform miracles, miracles out here in our community so the people that are skeptical of what we're saying, we can get their attention. That's what their prayer is. Pray for boldness and pray for miracles that allow our boldness to be listened to, basically what their prayers were. Now, something about miracles, and we're almost finished. The miracles all through Scripture, even today, the miracles weren't for the sake of the people that received the miracles. Now, they, they're ecstatic about the fact that they got healed, obviously, right? But all of them are going to die again or die from something. So what is the purpose of miracles? The purpose of the miracles is to point people to the miracle worker, or the miracle power. So people say, well, tell me, tell me some more. I want to hear about this. So I'm going to, what I'm going to ask you to do this week, and it's going to come up later, is how about you and I adding these two requests to our prayers? Oh, you can pray all this self-centered stuff. That's normal. That's natural. God wants you to do that. Pray for your family, friends, grandchildren, etc., etc. But add to your prayers. Boldness and miracles that allow me a chance to tell people about you, Jesus. Here's the interesting thing. It's a natural principle of life. God designed you and I to what? See what we're looking for. Right? Um, it's interesting, when you buy a, a, a newer vehicle, we buy old vehicles, but it's new to us. Even now, I've been driving my car for like five years, and it's, uh, what is it, uh, 03 or whatever it is. But anyways, pilot, white pilot. And, um, and I'm driving around, cars go by, cars by. What cars do I recognize? Old white pilots, right? <laughs> exactly, it's, it's bizarre, but that's the way God designed us. So, if I am praying for boldness, what do you think I'm going to see? Maybe opportunities for boldness? And then it's fascinating what else happened, and we'll finish up here. After this prayer, the meeting place shook. I don't know exactly what that meant. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. That means empowered. And then they preached the Word of God with what? They prayed for it? God answer? Absolutely. And then one other fascinating thing happened. And all the believers were united in heart and mind. United in heart and mind. 
Don't see that very often, do we? And they felt what they owned was not their own. Now, we talk about that. We all talk about my house, my car, right? But it's just God letting us use it, right? It's rented to us from God, if you will. So they shared it. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection, and there's that R word again, Lord Jesus, and God's great blessings was upon them all. And there was no, notice this next phrase, no needy people. Bring it up, please. There were no needy people. Isn't that amazing? No needy people. Because those who owned lands or houses would sell them. Not everybody sold all their lands and houses, but hey, I've got two houses, I'll sell one if somebody needs something. And bring the money to the apostles to give those in need. We talk about generosity a lot around here, but this was something else. I call this extreme generosity. Have you ever been a part of extreme generosity, either in giving or receiving? That's how they treated their community. So, the way you and I pray is an indication of something, something important. The indication of what's in our hearts. So is God's mission in our hearts? Some of you may remember back in the Old Testament, um, Rachel, her sister Leah, kept having these children. She couldn't have any children. So she prays this prayer. God, give me children or let me die. Would we dare pray that prayer? Lord, give me boldness or let me die. The early church did. I put on your outline. <laughs> you and I are Christians today because the first century church prayed bold prayers. Now I'm getting older now and I'm thinking about the next generation and the next generation of the church. Is there going to be a next generation? Are we praying bold prayers? So that's my assignment for you this week. I'm going to challenge you to add to your prayers. Again, just add. God, give me boldness. Think God will answer that prayer? He did 2,000 years ago. He will today. Let me pray with you. Uh, Father God, we pray for those that are checking you out, aren't Jesus followers. Help them to understand that they, like the early church, all of us, We killed Jesus. He died for my sins just as well as their sins, even though we weren't there. That's okay. Part of God's plan. That's why Jesus came, to die in our place so that we can have an eternal relationship with God, which means forgiveness for all our sin. We pray that prayer for you if you're a seeker. That's all you have to say. Yes, Jesus. Most of us are Jesus followers already, God, and if we're honest, probably we are, haven't been very bold. I think part of the reason is because we're afraid of being weird. But you can be bold without being weird. So God, I would pray that prayer for me, for boldness. I'd pray it for us as a church, but each of these folks need to pray it for themselves. We want the church 
to go on to, into the next generation. We know it's your desire, God. It's your church. We thank you for the example of the early church. Let it be an encouragement to us. Let it be all for, your, for you, Jesus, and in your name, <coughs> excuse me, that we pray. Amen.